0: You are listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, a very special episode about the Exhumed Films 24-hour horror marathon. They've got zombies. They've got werewolves. They've got monsters. They've got a guy named Dad Dick. That's right, Dad Dick. You got the stamina to get through this episode? We'll find out now. Welcome to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and with me as always is Martin Carlson. How's it going? Pretty good. And joining us for this round is Simon Abrams. Simon, how are you?
1: Very good. How are you guys?
0: Pretty good. Now, Simon's with us because we all traveled to the Colonial Theater in lovely Phoenixville, Pennsylvania to attend the 14th. Uh, I almost called it annual, but it's really not annual at this point because they skipped last year due to COVID, obviously, and other things that were kind of going on with the group. But it's uh, the 14th Exhumed Films 24-hour marathon, um, which this year was 25 hours, really, because it took place on Daylight Savings Time. Um, So, guys... I'm just going to go around the horn here, Martin. This is your first time, right? Yes. And Simon, this is your third,
1: third or fourth. I I forget. I know that I I was there at iHouse House a couple times for that. Uh, I also I'm probably in my head conflating it with the 12-hour X Fest. Yeah. So I've I've been there a bunch. It's just it's I want to say three or four.
0: Okay. This is my 12th, so it, I've been to this one a lot, and I guess we should kind of explain to the audience what the event is. Uh, we did kind of cover it um, extensively on Twitter to where I was more or less live tweeting the lineup as it as it showed up before our eyes and then getting it into the secret handshake feed. But Martin says that you were the uh, – marathon virgin here why don't you talk about you know what it was and how it felt to have your
2: cherry popped yeah um so as you said with the daylight savings was 25 hours not 24 um definitely done
0: they've actually done once before i believe the second one also took place on daylight savings time if memory serves uh and they fit another movie in there too
2: yeah it was definitely um i've done the longest marathon I've done before was a twelve-hour um, years ago uh, with like newer release horror films. And when I was living in Ohio, um, this was a a super cool event. I mean, you had, you had kind of talked it up to me. I mean, for a while. I mean, since even before we were planning to do this trip, you had kept saying like, "Oh, I saw this at Exhumed, or I saw this at uh, I saw a thirty-five millimeter print of this um, at the the horrorthon and so, I mean, it definitely, it was an amazing experience. It was one of the most exhausting experiences uh, in the best way. Like I I knew like getting in, I'm now 38 and I just can't hang the way I used to in terms of no sleep. Um, and so that was kind of my biggest uh, fear kind of going in was man, how long am I going to make it? I don't want to snore in, bunch of, in front of a bunch of strangers. And I'm just meeting Simon, sit next to him. I, I don't want to just be like sawing logs during a great movie. Um, but it was uh, it was awesome. Like it, you really get into a cool flow, I think, by like the fourth or fifth movie where you're just in this like kind of liminal state in your head where things are kind of just coming at you. Um, but, I mean, for this one, too, I mean, a really, overall, a great mix of films. Uh, they really kind of ran the gamut from, I mean, big stuff like The Exorcist to some smaller, more esoteric things that I had never heard of before.
0: Yeah, there's always uh, more or less deep cuts uh, yeah. thrown in, stuff that you you even can find not a whole lot of information online. Like, a, there's one movie that played this year that, yeah, I could barely find anything. And honestly, it's the one I went to sleep during and watched today before we started recording. Um, and it was, that was a rough one, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so what are the rules? Like what were, what were the rules to the marathon?
2: Cause it does have a unique structure, right? Yeah, definitely. So, um, you, Obviously, we got we got in line early, uh, and while we we're in line, they gave us uh, these awesome ballots that had uh, kind of hints as to what the movies were. So ahead of time for the audience, you have no idea what they're going to play. Besides the fact that they were uh, usually a rule of never showing because they have they've shown before in a previous um, marathon, and so you get this ballot of this for this time, fifteen films, and uh, it, you know. Can be as leading as um, it was like what lo- low budget Lovecraftian, low budget Lovecraftian films. Like one of them, they can get more specific. Uh, like the first one was as general as a true horror classic that basically we can't believe never shown before. You know, wow. that could be a whole lot of things. That really kind of was leading into people like yourselves have been to numerous ones to say, oh, what haven't they shown before? Um, what would be a horror classic? I think I guessed The Thing because I knew they hadn't shown that. They always like to show Carpenter. Um, at least I know the first year was Halloween. The second year was The Fog. Right. And then basically, you you fill out your ballot ahead of time, and before they actually start showing the first film, you drop it in the box. There are also raffles going on, um, and then yeah, the rules are. You know, basically no talking, uh, no checking your phone during, and it just runs. It never stops. Uh, and between, between films, except for a few, usually between five and 10 minutes of awesome, like 35 millimeter trailers. Um, yeah. Cut between that are also giving you hints as to what the film was going to be. So you already kind of have an idea. You've written down your, your guess, but um okay this has boris i've seen boris karloff a lot seeing christopher lee Where is this leading me to think this next film is going to be so any of the rules that i missed that's kind of what i'm just what i experienced
0: no that's that's about right i mean you you went further than i would have with the no talking and no phone thing but yeah it's the one thing you did miss is that it's all uh saved for two movies because they played two digital restorations that played this year it's all on film like non-stop 35 millimeter some years they'll play some 16 millimeter too but uh it's back to back to back to back those reels do not stop and those uh, projectors I can't I I can't figure out how they don't break down more because the the one thing that's kind of wondrous about it is that there are very few technical difficulties
2: um which is pretty that's a feat of strength right there this was pretty flawless. I mean, again, I don't have a, I don't have any sense of context, but I've seen a lot of 35 millimeter, um, uh, screenings in Austin and there've been issues at numerous ones, you know, especially if you're dealing with older prints, you know, like you talked about in the past, like one that was like so busted up, that it was constantly, (laughs) constantly breaking, you know, and that that can happen. Yeah.
0: So what I'd like to do now is I'm going to read off the clues (laughs) to each movie and then we're gonna kind of dive into what we watched or if we slept through it or if we went and got dinner at one point because we did. Um, So movie number one was undisputed horror classic that somehow Exune Films has never shown before, which was The Exorcist, you previously uh, mentioned. Simon, how was it uh, seeing The Exorcist in this dark theater uh full of strangers uh and
1: it's weird because it was like it, it was because it was at the top of the bill i think i was also a little more receptive but like there's just so much movie in that film that like even though i had recently watched it um and i'm not sure if it was the same exact version of that but like even despite all that i was just really just taken in all over again and I think it was also just fantastic because I'd never seen it projected on a big screen. I've always seen it on like DVD, uh, you know, tape, whatever. And uh, just not only seeing it on that beautiful screen, which is, you know, massive, um, but also just be having that, that, that great sound system. Like I honestly don't think that movie's ever sounded as good to me. Like it was just incredible because like, there are just the, the shifts in like the way that like the objects moving around on screen and the way that like they use the the surround it's like that immediately knocked me on my ass. I, I totally took that for granted just because it's like, I've been watching it on my TV all this time. Um, but it's, it's still, it's an ass kicker and it's, it's a real uh, it's a, it's a real, it's one of those movies where no matter how much familiarity you have, it just kind of, it has like a, a, a weird unabating kind of uh, power. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I cried during it, which was weird because it was like this is it, it, it's strange. Like I was a guy that before the pandemic would go to uh, the movie theater like four or five times a week, whether it was for a movie I was writing about or just for pleasure, or you know, catching a rep screening or whatever. Like. I went all the time and post even during the pandemic and post pandemic i've been to the movie theater this is the third time i've been to a theater um the first was for *Tenet*, the second was for candy man and this was the third hmm. and i was uh overwhelmed by the theatrical experience all over again and it was the thing that I was more or less missing um, because it's become such a huge debate online about, particularly in, you know, spaces like film, Twitter, and what have you uh, with, you know, theaters dying and having to kind of change their programming and uh, their rules and spacing and how many people can actually be in a theater. And if you even wanted to go, like, um, it's weird. Like I, I, I have trouble, arguing for the right to be, or like the, the, the desire to go see like the Eternals at your local AMC, you know, mm-hmm. um, where this theatrical experience totally took me away and reminded me like what it was like to be in a dark room with a bunch of strangers watching like a legitimately great movie all over again. So kind of, it was weirdly overwhelming.
1: Yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. It's uh, it's the, the the energy of the room is so is just as important as the uh, as the movie itself. And it was it was great, especially because I'd never been to that theater before, uh, but it was great. The balcony section was great. Just like even just being around the same nerds that like I probably saw like a month or two ago at the Mahoning. But like it was just it has a, a whole other resonance. And like if you if you don't have that and if you if you 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 know you've been um you don't have that that kind of experience in a while it, it can be overwhelming you know
2: yeah i i had a similar experience um like i quickly gone to fantastic fest for like the first um my first like festival experience during you know since covid or during covid and it was like i went to this like this bar the highball at the alamo and i just saw like my people and I was, I, start, I, started, I started crying too, like it was people that I only see at festivals, you know, and I was just like, so happy to see them, but I was like connecting with part of myself that I had not gotten to do in over a year. And I, I felt like you were both saying that similar energy in the room of, besides you two, I knew no one else. Um, and that doesn't matter. Like, so for me, it was just the energy of, of people who love movies as much, if not more than I do, and love horror film as much as I do. And... Like you said too, Jacob, like with, with the exorcist, like I've had experience I've gone to a lot of films lately. I i I'm hit the theater a lot and I've been severely underwhelmed by a lot of stuff It doesn't even feel like I watched a movie. Like, you know, I come sure. out of Venom. I come out of I mean Venom sucks, but I really come out. And I'm like that. I don't think it qualifies as a movie. Or, you know, Shang-Chi, like I had a, such a cold experience with that. Like you said, seeing the exorcist, which is a fucking banger. It just plays on all levels and for me my favorite sequence is just at the beginning with father marin and, and iraq and and it, it basically him not talking and it's just this like adventure out of the way the Friedkin opens like all his films in a foreign land you know at the beginning of sorcerer or the beginning of like french connection like the story is bigger than what you're going to see after this and i love how he goes from the macro to the micro and mm. um i had not seen it probably since quite two years for me but like you said too simon i would never seen it on the big screen Mm -hmm. and and it's a different movie it it honestly it plays so differently with an audience it plays differently with that like like you said that sound mix and and the way that they mix the um the sound of reagan like the voices like it's it's almost like not just coming from one source it's like mixed but from like different locations in the theater so um a great way to start i'm like if this is what we're in for i'm in for a good time like if that was the first movie so and it's worth,
0: it was worth noting that we watched the 2000 re-release print though that was like the, the quote unquote version you've never seen. Yeah. So like that, that sound is beefed up quite a bit uh, to play in those speakers and like, I'm not gonna lie, like I leaned over to Simon at one point because I didn't realize that was the cut we were watching and it has that extra footage of like the testing in like the first act and I was just like, I don't remember this. How does, is Do we jump a reel? Like what's happening here? And then once we, I actually settled in and was like, oh shit, we're not watching the theatrical cut. Like we're watching that, that kind of beefed up re-release that Free can love so much. Um, I don't know, do you guys, which cut of the movie do you prefer?
1: I actually really like this cut. Yeah. I gotta be honest, it's like I, I I think I actually saw the theatrical cut more just before this, like a month or three ago. And that cut is obviously great too. It's just that with this one, I feel like it's like the difference between the theatrical cut of the wicker band and like the final cut of the wicker man where it's like, you have so much more context and so much more like, I don't know, you get uh, so much fuller picture of like, the the exact vision that freaking had in his head and i i love that because i mean honestly as as kind of like full of himself as he can be on twitter it's like it's like <laughs> if you've made the, the exorcist you take every opportunity to shoehorn yourself in there and be like yeah man and you know what i did a fucking exorcist and it's like yeah i mean you did it's, it's like okay <laughs> Yeah.
0: It's like, you got it, man. I've seen him, uh, speak in Austin, like introduce movies in Austin twice, um, where he came and did a, when they, they did the remaster of sorcerer, uh, they showed it down at the Ritz on sixth street here and they paired it with a 35 millimeter print of to live and die in LA. And then, he did another one where he basically came in and did, I can't remember what movies he programmed. They were older films, but he basically did a collection of movies and and spoke in between them. But I like that Simon brings up how full of himself he is because that is one of the things that I can't, divorce myself from when I watch his movies anymore is that when you hear that big booming voice in your head not like for it doesn't affect my take on them but I just think about how like freaking makes these things he's like yes I am a fucking genius thank you like it what when he came and spoke the one time he was literally walking around and talking to people and obviously this is takes on a different Uh, feel post-COVID but he was literally reaching into people's popcorn bowls and like eating their popcorn as he was like talking you're like this man is just king of all that he sees right now like he does not give a fuck about anything
1: I love that I I honestly like even I think the most overwhelming underwhelming I should say of his recent stuff the devil and father Amarth like
0: that movie like
1: I don't know why that movie exists but uh there's a solid 15 minutes that that movie begins as and it's almost like william friedkin presents unsolved mysteries where it's like you just see like a version of him just like wandering around it's like it's like hi i'm william friedkin director yeah. of the <laughs> Exorcist. i'm gonna walk you through some of the churches and locations where i shot my classic film the exorcist <laughs> and then he's in the middle of a church, like smash cut to him and there's like this is the church from The Exorcist, and he's just like, well, it's just like, it's it's great because it just made me really imagine or hope for that, like there would be a a documentary series that was just, you know, William Friedkin debunking the myths about like all of his movies. It's like, here's why it's dangerous to drive a dynamite truck in Venezuela, or like whatever. Just like, or just like, say, here's why taking fried chicken and putting it in your in unfortunate places is not a good idea. I just I I would watch the shit out of like, you know, MythBusters for for William Friedkin movies. Beat Friedkin, like that would be
0: amazing.
2: True or false? I, I taught Linda
0: Blair how to masturbate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it oh, kind of reminds me, Simon, of the uh, the trailer that they cut for uh, for Psycho, where Hitchcock walked walks us through locations of Psycho. Where he's like, here we are in the hotel room. And it's like one of these, one of the trailers. Where he's kind of like setting up the scene, you know, mm. uh, for the movie. But I want to answer your question too, Jacob. In terms of the cut, I prefer this cut as well um, mm. because all all because of the ending. I think the way that it ties into Exorcist three. I love the kind of uplifting. I like the relationship between the other priest and and the cop. Where you have this kind of wonderful like callback to do you like movies? Because I believe in that. In the other cut, the original cut it basically shows the priest walking away and that's it yeah and there's so, a, that
0: that end conversation doesn't doesn't exist in the last one or in the, the, the theatrical said, i should say
2: yeah exactly so when i saw that because like, oh, I, I haven't watched this version in, probably since 2000 when that version came out and so i was like oh i really remember liking the scene um and so i think it really kind of brings the film to a much more i guess hopeful ending um between the two cuts
0: Yeah, no, it's just a terrific movie and like a real reminder of what it's like to watch like a classic all over again and just kind of experience it because it had been a while since I watched this movie and it was just like, oh yeah, that's right. There's a reason this is considered one of the greatest fucking movies of all time. Um, So movie number two, incredibly influential Euro horror melodrama, Eyes Without a Face from 1960.
2: Martin, you would never seen this before, right? First time. What'd you think? I fucking loved it. I It was one of those movies that had been on my list, obviously, for forever. It's always my Criterion channel. Uh, I'm surprised out of all the horror classes I took in college. It never came up. Um, and I always had put it off. And I, I actually, no joke, was going to watch it last month. when, like, During Halloween, when it was on Criterion. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I waited to watch it in that because when it, when it started playing i was like oh shit oh this is awesome like i was so excited because like this is the best way for me to watch it and it it really it lands super well it was a gorgeous print um i love the mix of like art house with like pulp like the way that, like, the dog cages are so cool like it was a cool it's a cool design um i love just the the tide another film we'll talk about later of uh this doctor trying to uh, help his daughter um, and doing horrible things uh, to make her beautiful again. And yeah, overall, I mean, it's, I I really really like that movie. And again, I'm glad I saw it the way I did with that group and with y'all.
0: And this was like the most colonial movie that they played because we haven't really mentioned where this took place, which is at the like or gone into, I guess, where it took place, because it's the Colonial Theater, which is a historic kind of landmark in uh, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, where they shot The Blob with Steve McQueen. And, like, I grew up uh, not too far from where this was. My brother got married in it. And, like, on the weekends, this is, like, a local haunt where, like, at least where I was growing up, it seems like the demographic has changed somewhat. But... Uh, where mostly old people would just go to watch like black and white prints of classic movies and stuff. So like seeing it projected here, I was like, Oh, this kind of fits where we're at.
2: Well, like also according to that guy, dad, Dick, we met, um, <laughs> there's, um, they, they do, they do blob fest there where they also yes. like reenact the scene of everyone running out of the theater into the to bridge street in Phoenixville. Um, just for the audience, uh, we were at a bar uh, the evening after the the fest was uh, the marathon was over, and this bartender from another bar came in um, who said that everyone calls him Dad Dick um, and he became
0: our site photographer on the spot.
2: He did take our photo, which was very nice, um, and we were all very photogenic. So thank you, Dad Dick, wherever you may be.
0: Yeah, and Simon also uh, clued him into who David Cronenberg is, and quite the i don't know i'm just gonna like simon tell the story because it was ridiculous. okay <laughs>
1: to be fair you were wearing a t-shirt that said cronenberg for president and there were a number of local phoenixville residents who were asking yes. who is cronenberg yeah including on our way into the that uh pub it was uh a group of very kind of like Drunk, uh, very drunk and rough imp- looking. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say impressionable. Those those descriptors are both accurate. Um, but yeah, they were they were like they really took it hard. That according to you, I think the, the thing they latched onto in your description of who David Cronenberg is is that he's Canadian.
0: Yeah, they that were was not into take- a Canadian president.
1: <laughs> it, they, that, yeah, they were, they were just like, it's like yeah, country's fucked anyway. And it's like okay, and then when we when we got in we made up with the uh the bartender from the the previous place the bistro you can, you can just call him
0: by his proper name which is dad dick
1: yeah, yeah. well i was building up to it thank you <laughs>
0: okay.
1: and and he he came by and we he was like what's the who, who's cronenberg and uh i was like hold on let me handle this one let me try it. Let, me, let me give this a try and then i was like have you seen the uh the uh the Jeff Goldblum, the flyer remake. He's like, oh yeah, of course. I'm like, so he did that. And uh, that seemed to work, but he was just kind of trying to understand what the joke was about why we would want him to be our president. And I was just like, in a, in a, in a, in a fit of, of wibzy, I, I tried to explain it's like, cause this is a person who has like, of all the like cosmically and galaxy brain aligned artists in the, the head canon of, of weirdos David Cronenberg is probably the only one that like is living their best fullest free <laughs> flag out kind of life. And it's like the way I try to illustrate that specifically is like, it's like he's fucked Vigo Mortensen for sure. There's like, he, we've seen it like on the red carpet, like he makes all these wild ass movies and then he's just like, he's just out there and he's like, yeah, you know, this guy from a history of violence is like, here's me spooching him. And it's like, it's like, we've definitely had sex. How are you gonna deal with that? I don't know. I'm just David Cronenberg. I'm like, I'm on another level. And he had to respect it. Dad Dick was was like, all right.
0: Well my
2: favorite, I, my fa- dad well, dick
0: dad Dick's brain was broken a bit by by your launch into Cronenberg being a bisexual god. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you you were like, he he fucked Vigo Hutchinson and, and you yeah, you emphasized it. <laughs> And he just literally went, Aragorn. Yeah, he was yeah. so <laughs> sad. Was, you
2: mean you mean Aragorn from Aragorn? Lord of the Rings? Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. That that's true. But I I I'm just saying. By the time that conversation was over, I think he accepted Cronenberg as as his new president.
0: And Dad Dick explained uh, because like I can't remember what Dad Dick's uh, given name is. Uh, or given Dave. by his mother, I should say. Yeah, we'll say we'll go with. Steve. Yeah.
2: No, it was C. Dave.
0: It was Dave. Was it? Was it Dave?
2: Hundred percent Dave. Yeah. Okay.
0: That you know what that actually makes the story even better. Dave, da- Dave, dog dick. That's a triple D. So uh, he's like, because Dave, I wasn't sure if Dave uh, was was coming over and hitting a, a little bit on us, and was like, eh, what if the what if you took me back to the French Key? creak in and split me like a coconut real quick like I kind of got that vibe a little bit but then he explained he has five children and everybody at the bar where he works calls him dad dick which
2: i guess is better than daddy dick or maybe it's not i don't know it was it was a lot of process i just like how simon <laughs> like i like how like literally the the, the 180 you did from like I'm going to describe this guy as obviously not a huge film guy there's no Cronenberg it's just fine and you're like he made the fly it's like cool and then you went from that to like you jumped over all the middle ground and we're like and also he fucked Vigo Mortensen. Mortensen and, and, and he's, he's a cosmic like a cosmic god and then the guy's like Aragorn? just yeah. so <laughs>
0: uh...
2: <laughs> well you gotta you gotta
1: hook him right and then you just floor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you bring him
0: on in oh my god so movie number three uh me and martin actually ducked out for and i believe only simon stayed for it was giant monster movie we screened one time a number of years ago but it was under a different title so it's kind of like we've never shown it at all and that was a 35 millimeter print of the terror of godzilla which is also known as the terror of mechagodzilla um Fun movie i don't I don't have any
1: what you saw of it <laughs> yeah
0: like I, I I didn't watch it, but I, I've seen it before I'm actually pretty positive I was at that that screening they're describing that was not uh very well attended but like y- yeah that I think it's cool because they exhumed plays certain movies based on almost a, uh, the group's individual members and in the group's taste, and like the one member Dan who we interviewed for this podcast loves kaiju films like he even has like a whole like kaiju sleeve tattoo on his one arm um and this is these are almost certainly like his picks his babies and like i don't know it is cool to see these these old battered uh kaiju prints projected in yeah. this environment because uh, you're not going to see them anywhere else
1: yeah it's, it was, it's funny because it's like it was like with the exorcist thing where because i hadn't seen Terror mecha godzilla in or that version of it it was just kind of fun because like it was like watching it all over again and just noting remembering the details like oh yeah i remember this i remember that but like it just felt and in that i think that was like my one of my favorite of the like just being in a room with people enjoying like the energy kind of moments for me because like we all weren't really paying attention to the plot. Exactly. We were just there for the, for the vibes, you know, we were there for the, for the energy of watching Godzilla kick the crap out of a robot and twist his head off. That's, you know,
0: it's all I want. <laughs> Some of these did the, the movies that play in the slot are great. Like over the years, like they played stuff like the mighty Peking man, which is, Totally uh, yeah. insane Saying if anybody, if anybody hasn't seen that at home, and also like War of the Gargantuas, uh, they played one year. Godzilla 1985, they've played um, Rodan. Um, so a lot of really good stuff. Uh, is this Terror of Godzilla? Is correct me if I'm wrong, Simon. That's the name for the American version or yeah. American edit, and it's Mecha Godzilla overseas. Or did I flip flop that?
1: Um it's mechagodzilla overseas it's godzilla here and because you have to remember the first mechagodzilla wasn't released as godzilla versus mechagodzilla i think it was like godzilla versus space monster or something generic like that which you know talk about leaving money on the table it's like who gives (laughs) a space monster like uh all right i mean i'm sure it made sense at the time for what worked for these exploiteers but like i'm just laughing because it's like ah yes the immortal space monster and uh you know uh, the terror of that guy uh, the, you know the guy that's all it's like
0: yeah i yeah, <laughs> you almost, almost kind of wonder if it's almost like we have to play to the basis level here at however many tickets we can sell so if like this is playing in arkansas they're cool with space monster they're like all right yeah. fine <laughs>
1: Exactly, just
0: make sure they know it's Godzilla, right? So movie number four uh, is was quite the highlight. Underseen psychosexual thriller that was recently remade by a divisive horror filmmaker. and this was uh, the first DCP that we saw because it was a 4k uh, grindhouse releasings 4K restoration of Death Game from 1977. Which uh, the Eli Roth remade into Knock Knock, the much maligned Knock Knock. Um, You guys like this a lot more than I did, but let's kick this fucking one around a bit. I think I I, did. Go go,
2: go for it, Martin. No, okay. Uh, No, I think I was at a point in the night where I was like, where are we going? And when Death Game popped up, we all kind of because we did the research ahead of, okay this is, we, we all guessed it right right because we were like we were looking because we were like who's the divisive director and i was like i hate eli roth and then <laughs> someone's like what is he remade like death game and i really i really liked it i think it was like beautifully shot i mean i'm not gonna lie i mean colleen camp is just beyond hot in this movie like um, and it's it's pure tna titillation in this movie I like how Seymour Cassell is just, doesn't want to be there. Um, <laughs> <My> and, <hero. laughs> and, and, and you, you, Jacob can talk to more about that. The research you did about that he did not have a good time making this. Um, but no, I was just like having a good time. Like I, a, not a perfect film by any means, but a fun film to watch with an audience. Um, and sure. yeah, Simon, did you, did you feel the same? I, I like that. Like, even though I
1: was, I like knock knock, uh, for mostly similar reasons. Although I think Keanu's character is more interesting and, and uh, developed in the Roth remake. But like, what I liked about this is like, it was mostly just um, the, like the, the the sheer sleazy enjoyment of watching something that like, it did need to look or be paced as well as it was. And even by the time you get to the point where you're so worn down by the movie, like it felt like it was like a, a purposeful effect, like you—you you were just having like a hangover, and then suddenly that amazing, out of nowhere, just like adrenaline spike of an ending happens, and you're just like, "What?" And then all of us—I I think you could feel the energy of that room just go from being like, "All right," ah!
0: <laughs> absolutely was, ridiculous. I can't. Yeah, believe- Jacob
2: yelled. Jacob yelled. What the fuck? Like very loudly. And I—that <laughs> yeah. was my favorite part of the whole festival. Probably was your reaction to that.
0: Well, because the whole movie takes place in one house. It's just about these two jailbait, like, sex objects who take uh, this seemingly mild-mannered married man whose, like, wife and kids are out of town. Like, they come in out of the rain, and they're like, ah, we need some. And they end up basically more or less seducing him. He bangs them, and then they're like – they turn the tables and and turn his whole life into a living hell – but I mean, like, it's so contained and you, you have expect a movie to just end with, like, them killing this guy or whatever. Uh, but it, I'm not going to spoil what happens, but it, it changes the tone so radically to where, like, one... It, it's almost like the movie reaches one conclusion and it's like, okay, that's that's who wins this battle. And then, you know... 10 seconds later, as those, as that, the the people who are victorious are celebrating, something else happens. You're just like, what? What? (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's impossible to describe without spoiling it, but it is, it it was, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I guess my problem with the movie is that it's just kind of repetitive. Like it goes, and and Simon even says that, you know, it, it wears you down and might be even purposeful in that way. But like, It's like, how many times can I just watch them trash this dude's house while this weird song about like loving your daddy plays like on the loop? Um, and like Seymour Castell's voice is dubbed, which is really bizarre. Like, it's very distracting, clearly not his voice. Which, according, I looked this up according to Sandra Locke, who's the other uh. Uh, woman who invades his house uh, with Colleen Camp, apparently in her autobiography, she writes about this movie and says that Seymour Cassell was so unhappy during the shoot and hated the movie so much that he refused to come back and do ADR. So they had to basically ADR his entire performance so that it all matched up, which makes sense because there's some real Italian – shit going on there man um the other thing too is i also wonder if this is one of those movies it feels like one of those movies that was more or less like rescued in post-production because Mm. of the adr stuff and like there's so much weird fucking editing in it for good and for ill that like three-way sex scene in the hot tub that goes on forever and is just like a, a mishmash of like cross dissolves and, like, they'll hold – they almost do, like, the David Lynch thing to where, like, they'll hold one shot and then dissolve to another, and it's playing under the other one. So you'll have, like, a shot of, like, Colleen Camp's face and then just, like, writhing, like, like legs or, like, boobs running together under it. And you're just, like uh, – or bubbling hot tub water. It's really fucking bizarre. It's, like, astrologer-level bizarre i
1: love that that's like oh, that's you, say, you say it's like you say it went on too long it's like i think that was just the right length for that because like i'm normally when it comes to scenes like, like even roth's version roth's version feels like timid in that in that yeah. analogous scene whereas this is just like well we're shooting our shot here we go just just a, a solid like just like drawn out like just i don't know like that felt like the the the, the a real piece de resistance moment although and then the ending came and like yeah. i can't i i i love that ending just because like it has a real reckless like self-destructive energy that like i think a lot of modern horror filmmakers aspire to like hereditary like i almost have to give it that like complete like i'm now i'm gonna throw everything in the shitter moment at the end where it's like i can see how you kind of were building toward this but this like Totally, just like nukes any of the development of the rest of the film, and just feels like he's like, it's like, and now the whole purpose is just to say, "Fuck off!" Like that's like, that's what I got from that editing. I just love it. it's like, oh yeah, it's like, it's like it's like, and then it's like, this is what this is the movie that I'm gonna give to you. It's like, and then just one final kick on the ass out on your way out the door. It's like, okay, oh oh oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. It it feels like it's almost like a producer note at the end. Like we got to send them out on like a high note. Like we're so many exploitation movies from the seventies. would. like another movie uh, that Grindhouse put out that's, that's very strange too, but has a a ending that does not match up with the rest of the film. Kind of like this one does uh, is an American hippie in Israel Um, has a very shocking finale. something like, uh, again, another grindhouse movie, uh, releasing movie, uh, Massacre mafia style has that very abrupt thing, but it almost feels like, like just that, that old kind of huckster ethos of like, send them out, just like feeling something, whether it's confusion, revulsion, like anything, like they just gotta, they, it, it they gotta feel or they gotta remember this movie somehow. And they, they definitely achieved that. Um, yeah. I think, but the reason I bring up the editing too, is that this definitely feels like, if you look at some weird career type stuff uh, with the people who made this, um, this is directed by a guy named Pete Trainer, who only made two films. Uh, he made this and Evil Town in the same year. Evil Town, which is uh, also a very troubled production that I believe Curtis Hansen Actually, a very young Curtis Hansen came in and finished after he was fired off of it because um, I think he had like a, either an uncredited uh, pass at the screenplay or something. But it's a very bizarre uh, horror picture. Vinegar Syndrome put it out a couple years ago. But then he never fucking directed a movie again. So it feels like this guy had his two shots and everyone was like, clearly he can't do this because there's another guy. The guy who edited the movie is a guy named David Wirth. Um, who was mostly a cinematographer, and he would go on to shoot Clint Eastwood's Billy Bronco and Any Which Way But Loose, which, and this is all me just doing like armchair conjecture almost by like piecing the dots together, is I wondered with Sandra Locke being in it and being married to Eastwood, I wonder if her like kind of throwing him a bone or maybe introducing him to Clint came from the idea of like, oh, we made this almost like mess over here that has to be saved with like ADR and some very creative, weird ass editing. And he Mm -hmm. helped do all that. And then it was almost like, oh shit, this guy put in great work over here. Why don't you meet my husband, Clint fucking Eastwood and like help shoot uh, two of his, cause he shot two movies for him that came out in 1980. And then they didn't really work together, but I don't know. It was just kind of interesting to, to look at these things on paper and be like, I think this happened.
1: I like the theory. It's a good one.
0: So number movie, number five was cosmic horror, sci-fi classic from the UK. This was a real highlight of the night, man, for me. Quater mass in the pit. Uh, which I had never personally seen before and was totally fucking
2: floored by. And both of you uh, quite like these movies. It was one of my favorite parts of the trip. Simon was us walking around in the cold, I think after this movie and realizing we're both giant Nigel Neal fans because I I think Jacob said, he goes, I just kind of walked ahead and let you guys do your thing. Cause like he's for our listeners, Nigel Neal created this character Quatermass who is a rocket scientist who constantly gets dragged into um, cosmic horror, sci-fi plots. Um, And this is probably the most well-produced of anything that he wrote. Um, It's a, it's a hammer production. It's not, but not a hammer IP of like a, you know, a Dracula or Frankenstein. We talked about that, man, what a, what a fucking movie of, you know, about this, Conspiracy uh, has again, like similar to Lovecraft, almost the the anthropology of horror of mm-hmm. like going down this rabbit hole of uh, all right. Here's our first sign. What does this mean? Oh, we're learning more. What does this mean for us as a culture? And this film has no limit as to what it touches. It touches like religion, society. Like Neeson, Neil, like put everything he had into this into this script. It feels like, um, and the print was pristine. I mean, it was really good fucking. Gorgeous. So that's my initial thought on, Quater- on Quatermass.
1: Yeah, I honestly I would held off for a while on watching the Quatermass films because I had really wanted to, knowing that they are all ad- adaptations of uh, serial, fuller like serial versions. Uh, I I had always kind of had hoped that at some point there would be like uh, a revive or th- there would be a way to see those in tandem. And so I kind of held off on it, but I'd read certainly read about Neil's uh, Quatermass films in depth, and I'd seen plenty of other Nigel Neil stuff, uh, including uh, you know the Stone Tape, uh, his other Hammer projects like the Abominable Snowman of the Himalayas, things like that. And it's like it was, um, it was kind of amazing because it's like I knew the story almost beat by beat already, but like just seeing that. It's like it's like yeah this is uh obviously the the classic that i I always read it was and just seeing it and and being able to to see it like like you said the print was was amazing the movie itself is just so uh so unusual and so like propulsive that like even if it were just the plot like being described like if it was just a table reading it would still be like at least three quarters of a masterpiece like it was just kind of like riveting from 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 the get-go and just like the the set pieces the uh the the money on the screen it was was gorgeous
0: i was um more or less kind of amazed by the movie but watching it as somebody who's like a huge john carpenter fan um seeing like hobbs and because obviously he wrote uh Prince of Darkness under his like mass pseudonym, right? Yeah. And yes. then, and then you watch this movie and you're like, oh, this Prince of Darkness is basically just this, but with like Satan in a tube. Like it's yeah. just totally doing the same thing. But uh, you also see like glimpses of stuff like Life Force uh, at the end when it becomes like totally apocalyptic. Like this was it. it there's another movie that played tonight that is my favorite that we saw for much different reasons. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. This movie, for the first time viewings that I had out of this event, this was the one that I totally was like, oh, fuck. Like, where has this been my whole life? It's it's wonderful. But, Simon, before we move on to the next one, you did have – I wanted you to expand on something that you actually said while uh, – during that walk that Martin was just talking about. Where we we're going to get dinner um, at the angriest dim sum restaurant that I've ever, <laughs> ever experienced. Oh, yeah. Uh, they did not want us there. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> did you? We, we were not welcome. Um, <laughs> but it was had, good, though. Oh, dude, those dumplings were amazing. But you had like a galaxy brain, as you described it, theory regarding uh, the Quater Masters ah. and how they are almost like sort of a linchpin for like modern genre stuff.
1: Well, they're interesting in that they, they suggest a lot of the possibility of, well, they, they for starters, they, they really gave me an idea of what could be the uniting thread for the, the festival. And I kind of, I don't know if it holds true, but like the, the, the simplest way I could put it is like all the movies that they were programmed are for the most part dealing with the idea of what did genre cinema look like before conventionality set in? And so it's sort of like a, a film festival centered around the idea of like BC before convention. And it's like when standards like, uh, the exorcist can be with like knockoffs and sequels and all this. And it's like, it's, it's this idea of what can genre cinema be before a formula or a a set of expectations and tropes take over. And uh, I think in this case, Quatermass in the pit and that character of like the the scientist character, like he he does make his way through various versions and different artists through the different uh, genres and stuff like the idea of that there was a certain type of Quatermass story or a certain type of Quatermass behavior. Like it was kind of just totally obliterated with Quater Mask in the pit. He was just like, it's like, oh, okay. So you remember how I treated him in Quater Mask in the Experiment and each successive sequel from what I've read basically just takes the character further afield and in even more ambitious territory to the point where in the, in the pit, you get like the story where it's like, and also there's Martians, we might be their hell. They created us it's this huge evolutionary chain and there's layer therefore all these implications about what you're looking at. And I, I find that amazing because like a lot of these movies, it's like the, 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 the way I think about it is for example, what, before we knew what a star Wars film was or what people wanted from a star Wars film, there was the holiday special and the holiday special was purely designed and succeeded and died. Um, as a something to keep the 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 brand alive. And once that stopped being useful to George Lucas, he buried it deep. And now we're all fucked because we have to basically find it on YouTube. And um I just I think though the the idea of like it's like what did this thing we all have very clear ideas and structure and things about what did it look like before when like basically singular artists like Nigel Neal and others were like and now it's suddenly about like, you know, subterranean Martians from hell that also may have, you know, maybe our gods.
0: I don't. Maybe. Yeah. Well, it, it in a weird way it reminded me of uh, you bring up Star Wars, but I was thinking of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Where, like all of a sudden, this serialized adventure story in is involving like the Ark of the Covenant and all the implications like that you kind of project onto that in terms of like biblical history and everything and then all of a sudden nazis uh faces are melting off and everything yeah. Uh, but yeah i had a very similar thought to that too uh so moving right along we have movie number six tombs of the blind dead which we mostly skipped because we had yeah. seen We had seen it. We watched the ending um, and I have the old, the blue underground box set, but this was the new 2k uh, synapse restoration that I will say, you know, we ducked out, went and got some dim sum, um, almost became dim sum and then returned to the theater. And it looked good. Like I, I, those uh, blind dead movies, while I'm not the biggest fan of them, I find them to be interesting curiosities. Like they are, Pretty gorgeous and just how they capture like the spanish countryside and the, their period setting and the, the the knights of the templar kind of uh living dead design is really cool and it, i mean the restoration looked good you know don may jr does good work and synapse does great work so i'll be interested to check it when it comes out on disc but you know we saw 20 minutes so who knows
1: wasn't i think this was we, we skipped the film but like I, I i with with that one in particular like it, it's just like it's 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 having just seen a year ago Night of the Seagulls, which is I think the third or fourth film in the that series. It's like you really know exactly what any of these films are if you've just seen one of them. And like, yeah. it's it's perfect. It's it's basically like the uh, the the cinematic the horror Euro horror equivalent of like stoner metal. It's like it's it hits one groove and then it just rides it it just goes for it and is like slow and you know it has its own weird pokey rhythm and uh it's pretty good
0: <laughs> yeah you could totally imagine like putting like a sleep record or or yeah son or something at like if you just like muted it and played those records in the background like the images would totally match up to it
1: yeah i mean try it let's let's see if we could dark side of the moon this thing yeah
0: yeah Movie number seven, old school, unofficial sequel to one of the original Hollywood blockbusters. This is uh, one of our favorites of the night, I think, collectively. And that's Return of the Vampire from 1943, uh, which is a sequel to the original Dracula because you have Bela Lugosi coming back and having a new uh, adventure as Count Dracula. Man, what a fucking like amazing jam-packed 70
2: minutes this is because it's an incredible film i i love i had i had avoided it for so long probably for the wrong reasons where i was like oh it's it's a columbia uh drac and he's not dracula he's this other character you know he's in yeah. dracula but it was he's i think Tesla? i, I Tesla, yeah, like, uh, Voldemort v- Tesla, I think, something like that. Yeah. And- yes, Armand, yeah. Tesla. You Armand call Tesla, Voldemort Tesla. <laughs> no, Vol- I <I'm> was saying Voldemort Zaninsky <laughs> from uh, the uh, Paul, Paul Nashy, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in a Nashy mindset. Um, but I, I loved this film, I loved this print. I'd never seen it. We, you know, there's a lot that you said to kind of unpack with it, probably a whole episode on it if we wanted to, but you know. A rare film to show wartime uh, England uh, and use it as a backdrop, but also as a, a day's ex machina at numerous times of things yeah. happening. And all of a sudden, there'd be a fucking bombing run by the Germans, uh, like during an important scene. Actually, the bombing is the reason that uh, the vampire is brought out of his tomb. Um, is the the bombing run comes o- over and destroys the entire cemetery his uh his cast part of
0: the it's part of the nazi blitzkrieg, right
2: correct yeah Yeah. and but i i think what i liked about it most is like i've been watching a lot of columbia shit lately and like mostly we had our our bedeker episode and then um it's like watching a lot of old columbia noirs and i just love like the kind of stuff they were putting out at that time and this is in that vein uh it it has this like noir feel to it. Like beyond like the horror is kind of, it's not as, as in the, in the forefront. It's more almost like a spy that we, you talked about Jacob, almost like him being a Nazi spy who's correcting right. those around him. Um, well, all the
0: subtext is the most
2: interesting part
0: of the movie is yeah. that it's, it's very much, you know, an almost like brides of Dracula type thing where he's coming in and, and recruiting a, a new woman to be his wife. And, uh, but he has like, the Wolfman, as his uh, – uh, oh, what's the character's name that Tom Waits – Renfield. Renfield, yes. Yeah. Thank you, Simon. Um, but like he, he has this Wolfman as his Renfield, and it almost feels like an odd colla- like metaphor for like Nazi collaboration at the time because his Renfield is this also like kind of uh, – vaguely foreign I can't I couldn't tell what nationality he was supposed to be but he's like bringing him in and they keep talking about like "Ooh, selling your soul if you if you work with the other side and how he sacrificed that but also they bring up like concentration camps at one point uh, just in like almost like what feels like a toss-off line of dialogue but you watch it and you're like wait 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 that feels purposeful like it's all of a piece in like having this this uh, destructive European force come in and then begin collaborating with these people to essentially infiltrate, um, the, uh, more or less the American side, because all of your good guys are, are American characters here, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but like, and then they have to more or less rise up, uh, and, and, and fight against Dracula or Tesla in this case, but also you have like grave robbing, which is weird because you have two guys who come through to like clean up the bombing site and they steal uh, the Count's, you know, jewelry and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a really fascinating film because even after it I turned to you guys and was like, was there any other movie in that universal run or even time period that was directly addressing the war that was happening then. And, and Simon mentioned an Invisible Man sequel, I believe. Invisible Agent,
1: Agent. yeah.
0: Yeah, the Invisible Agent. But outside of that, like that th- that's kind of what makes this movie super unique is that you're like, it's commenting on the times in which it was made while also, and it, it, while also just delivering this incredibly tight, uh, entertaining 70 minutes. That's, I mean, it's a really remarkable little movie
1: yeah and i was just trying to think like lou lander is the director like he just there was a period where he was just cranking out like four or five pictures a year uh including the boris Karloff, the raven which is the most genre uh adjacent example i could think of but anyway he he did westerns he did all kinds of comedies he did war pictures and like the dude just like you know was a war horse and like this this film has like these wild pitches in in humor and the performances are all seemingly on different pitches to match like there's a charters and caldecott style comedy happening in the graveyard with these two bumbling soldiers who pulled the stake out of dracula but there's just like all this stuff like the uh nick and Nora charles-esque british spies the like the sense of uh of uh the graveyard shenanigans between Armand and him which had like almost a homosexual like charge to it like yeah. there was there was a lot movie, well, a two, lot of movie yeah there's
0: two hotel clerk characters too that almost feel gay like coded like yeah yeah like it's it's a real interesting film like again there's just so much shit kind of happening under the surface um but are we ready to move on to the crown jewel of the night yes So movie number eight of the evening, sleazy, absolutely bonkers, Italian horror ripoff, Patrick Still Lives. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Where – who wants to take this to start? You know what, Simon? You explained uh, Cronenberg, so try to explain (laughs) Patrick Still Lives with the same level of succinctness.
1: I, I had to do it, actually, at, <laughs> at, at the uh, the concession stand at the theater, because this bored uh, teenager had to put up with enough of our black t-shirt wearing asses. And he was like, he was like, what, what is showing now? And I was like, it's like, well, it's a sequel to an Australian movie where a comatose man basically uh, uses his mind powers to sexualize harass a bunch of people and also murder them but because this is an italian ripoff, it's a lot more tits and a lot like goofier violence and he's like oh sounds good
0: <laughs> you know what he was right though it did sound good and it was the absolute highlight of the evening um like ex- after the screening i said to you simon and i still hold this is that exhumed is shown a lot of sleazy shit over the years like I have seen some primo nonsense there that made me want to take a shower immediately afterwards stuff like you know farewell Uncle Tom nothing oh, God. Wanna, yeah nothing you want to show to your children uh Patrick still lives ranks right there with shit like farewell Uncle Tom or cannibal holocaust or uh, rat man rat man from last year there's always and that's the, the other thing is there's always one in the horror uh, in the the, the lineup that is just a total like what the fuck mind melter night warning is another one that showed up one year to where it just destroys you but patrick still lives dead it's it's near the top in terms of just pure sleaze factor and ridiculousness because like it's basically a porno, a softcore porno with mind murder, killer dogs, a pool, that, ha- a disco sauna that's turned into like a cauldron. Um, <laughs> there's a- an impaling through the vagina. Um, oh,
1: is there?
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: with full penetration, like porno style. Penet- it's... Uh but, but
2: anti-antichrist blood, you antichrist know, like,
0: blood. Yeah, it's. I felt unclean, but at the same time, like I elated and also aroused.
2: It's it's very. I think we talked about this, but it's it's very much structured like a like a porno or a softcore porn where you're watching the film and a lot of Italian horror films are like this. If there's a female on screen, you're probably going to see her naked like at some point in the movie, like a, a movie lot. like Satan, like Satan's nightmare. is kind of like that too, where you're watching that to group of hot women and, and anyway, all right. This film is structured in such a way where it's, it's literally edging you as an audience member where. There's the- a final
0: girl, but it's not, it's a final girl that like they tease to she's clearly the hottest one uh and and they're teasing the whole time to win like
2: what are you gonna get to see her naked and who and they really i mean they they like it's this whole thing where it's like he's using his psychic powers where like her shirt gets lower he pushes up her skirt and you're like man and it really does like make the audience and it's again not something i'm like proud of but it definitely gets you in that kind of mindset of like man i hope i get to see her naked and then after she's naked, it just has this other side character who's barely in the movie. You're like, well, now she's naked for a while too. And it's just like – and the dude, do you see Dude Dick too? Dad Dick? Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of it. It's yeah. sleazy. I mean, it is a it is a gross fucking movie. And also, I enjoyed every second it, of
0: it. It also announces its intentions pl- pretty early because, like, the, the one character, the kind of douchey diplomats uh, – uh, wife or mistress or or whatever His like wife who's, yeah who's also a prostitute she walks around through a whole scene with a, a bra that hooks on under her nipples and then you're just like oh this is what we're gonna do like she could have been reciting like shakespeare and they still would have made her wear that bra
1: yeah i i one of the things that i love though that we haven't commented much upon is during the sort of like Agatha Christie with a head cold element of the story, which is like, it's like, I've gathered you all here for esoteric reasons that will eventually become irrelevant.
0: Well, it's but a total like- Giallo setup. Is that it's like, I just watched one in that Vinegar Syndrome, one of those Vinegar Syndrome box sets called The Killer is One of 13. It's almost the same exact story in terms of like, I've invited you all here to dinner because you're all shitheads and I know secrets about you and you're all going to die one by one. And it's like, oh, okay. It's
1: like, yeah, I'm trying to find out who's the person who, who made Patrick a weird fucking telekinetic mutant pervert. And it's like, but I mean, at least half of that is all him, you know? Like that's don't put that on these people. And well, like the prologue,
0: they show it to you. He's just hitting the head with a beer bottle. Like yeah, I didn't, you're you 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 never none of these plot threads like make any sense, nor are they ever followed up on. Like these people just basically show up and they're like, oh, we're all fucking shitheads. Now and then they either bang, slap, wrestle. Or die, or sometimes all the same, and you know all at once in the same scene. There's a lot of women who get slapped in this movie. So on top of all the other offensive
2: shit, and the whole fest, it was like a running theme. Yeah, of like every film, like every other film, at least had like a child or a woman being slapped, and it's like cool. It just doesn't, doesn't, yeah, doesn't, it does not age well at all. I like this
1: though because it had like the the weird fetishistic zeal. Uh, somebody who didn't have the slightest idea of how to make a movie but they're just like you know what i would love to see right now i would love to see those trees shaking and then that pool be turned into a fucking like like you said like a, a a death sauna it's like wait what it's like yeah and then that hook's gonna go through that guy's throat and it's going to take a while to get there, and it's going to lull you into a weird sense of, is something ever going to happen in the scene? And then right in there, and it's like, wait, what? It's like, yeah, and then they're going to be telled off at dinner, and she's going to have her breasts out, it's going to be great. It's like, I'm sorry, do you have a story to tell, sir? Are you, what are you doing? It's like, yeah, and then it's like, it just keeps snowballing. Well, also, like
0: who are those three people because like his dad's a scientist I guess which uh, to, to bring up the cinematic parallels we were talking about earlier like this is sort has bits of eyes without a face kind of in it because it's like oh his dad keeps his invalid son down here and is trying to find more or less I don't know if it's a cure because they have these three other subjects who are also naked uh, I yeah. Who have all this shit like taped up to their heads, almost like he's he's monitoring their brain waves or psychic abilities or whatever. But they never really explain why these people are there. Like I think Martin told me, like because I was talking to him after the screening, he was like, "Yeah, I think they call him or them his like batteries at one point." And it's just kind of like, but yeah, it's such gobbledygook the entire time in like the best way possible. But the guy who made this, a guy named uh, Mario Landy uh, is also responsible for one of the movies that I do the, the thing that so many other people do, uh, like a bunch of target bitches, is like, uh, I watch a horror movie a day throughout uh, all of October. And one of the ones I, I did my theme uh, for this year was just stuff I'd never seen before. And one of the discs that I kept on my player the whole month and just didn't get around to watching was uh giallo in venice which ah, yeah. also very it's notorious for how sleazy and violent and bloody it is uh, but he also made that so now i'm i i can't wait to tear into that movie because i'm like if it's even anything approaching patrick still lives like this guy's one of my favorites just with two movies
1: he also has a film to his credit called Super Sexy Market, all one word, Le tre Grazzi, which sounds like the three thank yous. I don't – anyway, yeah. Super Sexy Market is quite the, quite the mouthful already, so I'm curious if you catch up with that and how, how that is as well. What, what, what's so sexy about it and why is it – What is for sale <laughs> at
0: this market?
1: Three, three Grazis, go on.
0: Three Grazis. But, yeah, this was this was undoubtedly, like, the highlight of the evening for me. Um, now I can actually uh, confess this to you, Simon, at one point. Uh, later in the evening, while I you know I was basically going in and out of consciousness, I started having some weird sex dreams, and then I would literally wake up, and I'd look, and I was like, oh, my God, Simon's sitting next to me. I'm still in the movie theater. How's it uh, going? I should not have these dreams right now. But this this very literally – uh melted my entire brain uh for the rest of the evening and frankly the last couple days like i haven't stopped thinking about it um because it's just it set a new a new personal bar for me to where what i'm gonna measure all italian trash against and it's like yeah yeah it's good but it's no patrick still lives
1: (laughs) i'm with you and i think the idea of like this being the turning point where everything else like I don't know if I'm going to have a lot of good critical thoughts about what came in the next yeah. three films, but like, we'll give yeah. it a try. Right.
0: Yeah. Because we, we dipped out of uh, movie number nine, which was smart supernatural sleeper. That is one of the many uh, movies referenced in the opening song from the Rocky horror picture show. And that was night of the demon. Um, which I believe they said later, Simon, you actually missed this. Um, he they got a print that was the Curse of the Demon cut from the UK, so it was the longer cut um instead of playing the US cut, which was the Night of the Demon. But the we I all think it switched.
2: Kind of, I think is that switch it switched? Yeah, they played. They played Night. Did
0: not they, they play Curse?
2: They played, they played Curse. curse? I, yeah, that was the title card.
0: Was Curse? Oh, yeah.
1: And the the thing about it was, we caught. We still caught like two thirds of it, and. I was actually starting to wonder, I was like, I haven't seen some of this footage before because I've seen the movie but like, that explains it. I didn't know that it was a different cut, but like uh, yeah, I it's still a gem of a movie and I, I think I even have a greater appreciation of it now, but like uh, beyond like, just all the, the knowing how hard poor Dana Andrews pushed to make that movie exactly to the specifications he had in his head, like I just can't help but feel like this is yet another amazing fluke of a film that like, I can't help but Marvel uh, exists because it's just, it's such a, it's such a, a, an odd duck and such a, a a well put together example of like almost um, not quite Lovecraft style cosmic horror. And it's like, it's, it's such a, uh it's it, it's such a pure it was such a purely pleasurable movie that like my brain switched off and i'm just like i'm just going to watch where this goes even though i know exactly where this goes you know
0: yeah no and it's it's still brought the 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 cosmic horror elements to uh to it because it's like to again uniting it uniting it with um Mass in the pit uh and then a later movie we would see uh, two movies from now um, so movie number 10 now this is the one I checked out during I went and took a nap real quick um, rarely seen satire of homage to 1950s era sci-fi horror movies and it was 1977's The Day It Came
2: to Earth uh, which you guys were displeased with we watched the whole fucking thing um, <laughs> And my favorite moment of the movie was Simon turns to me and goes, we're still watching this. It's still going on. And it's, it's a movie. And we discussed this Simon after we watched it, that like, it's not quite a satire and they call it a satire. It's straight up. Just like we made our own version of one of those movies. There are some that are kind of jokes. They don't land. Nothing is funny the entire fucking time. It's, I would say Night of the Creeps for all its like more. It, it's still a fun horror movie. It's still more of a satire than this is. Like this is just like we shot our own version, and yeah. it's it's awful. I mean, I I sorry. It's a genuinely awful film, and I I hated it. Um, but that was my harsh <laughs> view of it.
1: I I honestly like I went back and forth because as as I was watching it, I was just like, like a lot of the beyond the the other theme of of the the festival was it's like these a lot of these movies are perfect fetish objects that like they're like they're totally uh made to to the weird eccentric uh visions of their creators to the point where it's like a lot of the creative decisions if you were to overthink and if you were to try to just pick apart after a certain point it's like why does this look like this or why does that happen it's like the answer would inevitably it's like Cause it gets the filmmaker off, and in this case, it's very literally like, and kind of fascinating for the way that like, it was so right down to like the uh, the rhythms and like the uh, the way that they treats the 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 sex uh, the 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 teen sex uh, comedy the uh, the the weird gangster subplot the monster stuff the scientist stuff. It's like it was all very very specific. And, uh, you know, real, true enough that, like, it was at least interesting on that, like, curiosity level. But beyond that, like, as as that ended, I was like, oh, it actually isn't going to do anything. It's just, it's just what it is. And very, barely that. So I, on the one hand, it's like, I'm, I'm curious about their ability to make it as true to their, to their, uh specifications but beyond that it's like it's pretty good
0: yeah
2: yeah yeah and i i might have been too harsh too because like i didn't have the most horrible time watching it we were we were kind of you know it's not super long um like I, I would agree that like it's very compares to like a monogram film mm-hmm. you know like that level of like drive drive in kind of drek, and it does have that t- it looks like it the print also I'm not sure if that was the original color timing or what but it's all like super washed out yeah um, it's almost black and white uh, or beige and white or be- you know black and beige but not sure yeah
0: it's definitely washed out because I actually watched this today uh, before we recorded there it's uploaded on YouTube on our buddies uh, from the the, the white sleeves of Chinatown their, their uh, channel um, so I watched it today. I'm more on Simon's side that I find some of it kind of interesting. It actually reminds me of like Charles B Pierce made like Night of the Comet. Like it has this very regional drive-in uh, feel to it. It's very, very lo-fi. But yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to do a very particular brand of uh movie with the, the, the teen Almost like a beach blanket bingo type approach to its like teeny bopper stuff. That all of a sudden this weird like mafia uh, zombie plot comes in because like a a comet like reanimates the dead corpse that these two hitmen killed and like threw in the river. Um, interesting side note that I looked up while I was watching this movie is that it's produced uh, and directed. Edited, I believe, and maybe even written by a guy named Harry Thomason, who is the co-creator of Designing Women with his wife, um, um, I'm blanking on her name, I'm trying to look it up right here, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, they co-created Designing Women, like one of the, the, a, a pretty big show during the 90s, so like this guy has this movie to his name, and then he did that. Like it reminds me a lot of like David Chase uh, writing – oh, uh, what's that one movie? Grave of the Vampire. Yes. Um, and then going on to make – because I believe – what's his name? John Hayes directed that movie. And yeah. then it's very idiosyncratic, has like William Smith in it. and has this very uh, – that's a much better movie than this. But it just has a very particular t- – Is okay. it
1: though? Uh, it's
0: it's fun i I found that movie a lot more fun than this one this is a slog to get through like you cannot believe that they programmed this in the time slot that they did because even at home like doing laundry i kept looking up at it and was like nothing's happening in this like it's just this very terrible zombie like kind of like it climbs a hill at one point you're like all right i guess do we just need to pad this out to feature length like yeah but yeah, it's a it's a very very odd movie that I, I agree with Simon. I, I found interesting to one degree or the the other is just like a curiosity of like oh this guy had a thing he wanted to do but like it sucks.
1: Yeah, it doesn't quite land, does it?
0: No, not not the least bit. It's a uh, it's interminable at certain points. Like you're just like oh my god. Um, movie number eleven. Speaking of interminable. Uh, low-budget Lovecraftian lunacy The Curse from 1987 uh, directed by the great character actor David Keith yeah um, starring Will Wheaton and just and Claude Akins and, and just kind of a straight-up adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's uh, The Color Out of Space um, this movie sucks
1: it's not I, it's, it's I don't that like was... it there's a reason I bailed after this because it's like my energy level was at an all time low. I kept waiting for this to kick into some kind of gear. And as soon as afterwards, when I found out that the next movie was a movie, a good movie, but one that I had not only seen, but seen fairly recently, I was like, and I'm done. I'm, I, you know, two, two films that tried my patience in a row at this hour of the night. It's like, I, I, there's not enough to make me, to pull me through here, you know?
0: Yeah. This movie is just like an assault. Like I was hoping, I really was hoping to wake up from that nap, come back and like have the same thing of like, okay, the last one didn't do it, but now we we got like an upper here, you know, like let's, let's get everybody back into this, but nah, this, this, this one's brutal. It's not just bad. It's like really boring, but, and also like when you're watching the credits, because it was under a different title, the farm, uh, I believe, it, it, you know, you're watching the credits that the music's kind of cool. It's real synthy. Um, and then you're getting the, uh, producers that are on here. And this is produced by Olivia, uh, And if I'm butchering his name or not, but who is responsible for the beyond the door movies and, and uh, the visitor too, which is quite a WTF kind of spectacle. Um, But it's also produced on an associate level, at least, by Lucio Fulci, who's going under Louis Fulci. So you're like, oh, maybe this will be interesting. It is not. It sucks. It's quite bad. Yeah. So I guess moving right along to Simon, this is when Simon bailed. Um, But I do want your input on this movie, just a a couple things, because you told me about something about it. Afterwards, I had no idea and actually explained a lot of my problems with it. 1988's The Peacock King. It's a crazy Hong Kong horror fantasy fun film. Um, It is that. But like, I don't know. I didn't find a whole lot special about this because it's, it's pretty simple. There's like three evil witches or like powerful forces that are emerging from the different parts. There's one in like Japan at one point, there's one in like Hong Kong, I believe. Again, my brain was scrambled a little bit, but then these two warriors uh, basically appear and are are tasked with stopping these witches from destroying the the world and unlocking the gates of hell, I believe. And then, you know, but it all takes place in modern times. So you have these almost like, fighting mystical monks like wandering around like hong kong discotheques and stuff which was cool but i I would i i'd be lying if i told you i could follow any of it like i was just watching it like this is the total nonsense but simon you told me that this is a fucking sequel
1: yeah i'm trying to think because like there's saga of the phoenix which i thought was actually before this film i just want to confirm uh that it's by the director. They're they're both by the director of a uh, story of Ricky, and um, I I went through a phase where I was just mainlining. Uh, I'm gonna butcher the name, but let's try it in Guy Choi Lam. Uh, his films, and I watched that, The Cat, and a bunch of others. But yeah, this is the Seventh Curse, which is fucking great. Um, but let me just confirm. I yeah, this is definitely. There's a uh, saga of the Phoenix, which I guess comes after this. So I guess this is the first one. I didn't realize that, but yeah, like it's, it's narratively, it kind of starts in the middle of things. It get hits the ground running. The plot barely makes any sense. And uh, it's also, this is uh peacocking is, is a, uh, a remake of an of a, um, a manga called spirit warrior. So there was a TV series. So there's a lot of plot that's being omitted and, um, it's also just kind of like, as far as you know, just like the 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 highlights of of, of that kind of uh, supernatural, like almost mole Tau level of manga adaptation. It still feels kind of light, but I remember enjoying it when I saw it. But it just it definitely was not. Yeah, I was it was too cranky to get through that. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, you you very abruptly looked at me and was like. I'm going to the hotel. Yeah. i see you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right.
2: <laughs> and I was asleep on the floor out in the mezzanine. So yeah. I didn't even see you leave.
0: <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. This was when my brain, like, for, for those listening, you have to realize when, when you've sat in a dark fucking room staring at these bizarre movies for however many hours at this point, I mean, you're bordering on almost 20 now. Like your brain starts to play tricks on you. You'll fall asleep. You'll take micro naps. Sometimes you'll wake up and you'll think that the movie you're watching is an actual dream you're having. It's bizarre. Like, like I see people there who are like going out and smoking joints and shit, like in between movies. And I, I don't know how you exist, man, because I would, I would just pass right out, like during this entire thing. Because already powering through them, your your, your entire psyche. Becomes just a disgusting mess. So,
1: shitty sorry. coffee was my trick.
0: Yeah, <laughs> shitty coffee was bad. Although it was nice that their concession stand not only stayed open all twenty four hours, but served beer for the for as long as the law allowed. Let's say.
1: Yeah, well. <laughs> exactly. I, I appreciated the theater. The, the The experience in general was just a really positive one, especially hanging with you guys. But like, yeah, it was by that point. I was like, I could continue, you know, just shoveling down shitty coffee or I could, I could get actually sleep,
0: sleep. <laughs> yeah. like a normal person.
1: <laughs> Couldn't resist.
0: Well, thank you so much, Simon. Uh, this has been great. Uh, me and Martin are going to cover the last three. You said you got to run real quick. Or we'll let you go. But wonderful to see you. This trip was uh, incredible. So talk yeah, to it was soon. a blast. It was a
2: blast to hang out, man.
1: Let's yeah, yeah, let's do it again soon. All right. Yeah, Definitely.
2: Man.
1: Yeah, but guys, have a good one.
2: Yep. All right. See you, man. Bye. All right, Martin. We got
0: three to go. You ready to do this? Let's hit it. Number thirteen: Doctor Terror's House of Horrors, uh, vintage supernatural anthology featuring two bona fide masters of horror. Um, I've seen this before. This is one of the Amicus anthologies, you know, with Peter Cushing and, and Christopher Lee and. Uh, Donald Sutherland even even shows up in one part, Uh, Bernard Lee, you know, it's directed by Freddie Francis, who worked a shitload within the Hammer Factory, Uh, written by Milton Sabotsky, who uh, was one of the uh, founders of Amicus with Max Rosenberg. Um, This is a foundational film if you're into, like, Brit horror, but I'm not going to lie. I saw maybe 20 minutes of this because this is when my brain totally went dead. Like Robocop's battery at the end. And yeah, I, I, I was fading later.
2: I was fading pretty fast. I made it through, it's an anthology. I made it through, like, I think four of the stories and I was like, Oh shit, we still have Donaldson one story to go. Like I was like, yeah. i almost going to make it. I, yeah, it's. I'll stop. Probably not the best film for that time of night. There's um, a, uh, uh, i don't i'm not a huge brent horror guy i like hammer but amicus stuff has never like landed well for me um and i also i find it often to be quite the snooze um i see i like
0: them when i'm just sitting at home like hanging out like smoking a joint or something like i find them to be great hangs but yeah i could see if if you're not into it you're just like oh turn this off
2: well yeah when i when i saw popped up and I knew and I've, I've I know about the film and I've watched some I've watched Asylum and a couple other other films and I it's it's well produced it's cool I, I like I mean I like the kind of EC Comics vibe of they all have this kind of sense of um, like I, I do like the voodoo one um, quite a bit uh, with the with the trumpeter who like sure. steals steals this uh, this voodoo song basically um, he's like he's basically a colonizer and, and doing a uh, cultural appropriation and it's funny I actually wrote a short film very similar to this and I've never seen this movie <laughs> and I was like oh shit well I guess like I could still make it but it's this is completely already been done and probably better than I would do um but yeah again at that point of the night or I guess to this point the morning where I I needed something to really pick me up I think it, I think we needed a banger this and was not so it. It, was, it it's very subdued in the end it's very very british um looks great great print but besides that not much to report
0: yeah no agreed i have it on blu-ray so like uh i've seen it before and wasn't that upset that i mostly slept through it with my head against the pole behind my chair um movie number 14 intelligent psychological thriller slash slasher with a fantastic lead performance this is the stepfather from 1987,
2: I believe. Which, which I got that guess right. That's yeah. one of the ones we got right. Yeah. Yes,
0: right. Uh, directed by Joseph Rubin, uh, starring Terry O'Quinn. That is the obvious uh, great lead performance. Um, written by Donald E. Westlake. Yep, written by Donald E. Westlake, the great crime author. This is, a, this is a solid movie. I don't love it the same way you do, but like it was fun to watch uh, with an audience. And you're at nine in the morning at this point, and
2: it just totally – yeah, you're downhill now. You're on the you're on the downhill slope of the, fest, of the, the marathon. I yeah, I adore this movie. Um, one of the things you mentioned is it almost plays like a TV film. Um, yeah. With you know, obviously you see Jill Sholin's boobs very late in the movie, which is strange. The last ten minutes of the movie, um,
0: especially since she's supposedly playing a sixteen-year-old.
2: It's, yeah, it's it's a weird. great. Great line in the movie where her stepfather walks out and she's kissing a boy and. He's like, what are you doing? She's 16. The kid's like, I am too. And the whole audience
0: <laughs> is just like... "You could No, because he goes, you're 16. You could go to jail. He's like, I'm 16 too.
2: It's <laughs> like, so, like, Tara Quinn, like, brings it and then some. And it's interesting to think of, like, this and then the same era of him being in, like, Silver Bullet, you know? Um, and uh, he was just kind of always around. Um, yeah. And obviously a lot of people now know of as Locke from Lost and in my mind, the best character in the show. You know, um, I I think what's interesting about this movie is something we talked about after was is that it, it really is a freight train. Like, it, it does not let up where right. there's no, there's really not a lot of fat in this movie at all. Where right. these, these great, like, smash cuts from, like, we talked earlier is like, they just got to make sure to not get in any trouble and smash cuts beating the shit out of a girl at art class or, what my advice to you get a gun smash cut the guy has a gun he's shooting it in like the the shooting range firing range it's like it, it moves in this really interesting way i like joseph rubin as a director i like you know you don't love his other films as much as i do but like i love sleeping with the enemy i love the good son i love this the best trilogy he did yeah. I, love, yeah, I love those all movies three. suck dude yeah and I, and I adore them so i i love that he's the has this little sub to himself um I, I think it honestly has one of the coolest openings though um, that it, it starts out and you you know, see this guy and he's, he's in the bathroom uh, and he's trimming off his beard. You know, who is this guy? What's going on? And there's this awesome tracking shot where he's walking down the stairs and first you see a picture askew. Then you see a bloody handprint after that and it's moving you down you see scratches in the wall down to him walking past the living room where it's like a a dead family who he's murdered his family
0: and including a dead child in the foreground
2: well yeah then so then he walks out the door and the and i think it it, it, the camera tilts down or dollies uh, uh jibs down to this dead child on their belly with blood all over the place and then it's just him Whistling his song and walking in the street, like, I'm gonna go find the next town. And oh man. And he doesn't say anything. You're like, what's this guy? And it's an interesting way because it has a very similar structure to Shadow of a Doubt, the Hitchcock film. And but in that film, you have, you know, little Charlie thinks that that Uncle Charlie's the best thing in the world. This film, the audience knows in the beginning, this guy's a fucking murderer. Our main characters already like, he's a fucking creep. I don't like him. It skips all that bullshit. Yeah. Of like And it's just she's right from the beginning. There's um, no mystery
0: to it whatsoever. I mean, you you compare it to Shadow of a Doubt. I compare it to another movie that we quite liked and watched together recently, which is Scream for Help from yeah. Michael Winner. Scream for Help is the perverted uh version yeah. of this, like just absolutely out of its mind, deranged cuckoo. Um and and much more much more uncomfortable with this handling of let's say underage female sexuality um it's rough yeah yeah it's it's also a trash masterpiece so that's the movie i prefer to the stepfather but like the stepfather i'm not gonna lie like this is this was another um obviously not to the same degree uh but situation like the exorcist earlier where i was just like okay this movie's good it does what it's doing. The audience was into it, and it was just a nice theatrical experience. That kind of did – it actually did wake everybody up for the final film, which was uh, one of my favorites of the event itself. Movie number 15, enjoyable, big-budget comedy directed by a genre icon. That makes that, that it sound like they didn't like this movie that much. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. Like I wasn't really looking forward to it, but I actually guessed this one. It's uh, Peter Jackson's The Frighteners from 1996, which uh, plays totally well with them. I believe one year they ended with Dead Alive. Another year they ended with Meet the Feebles. Uh, so this uh, definitely plays into their usual programming whims, let's say. Um the Frighteners was a fucking total revelation for me. I probably hadn't seen this since original release when I saw it in theaters and maybe once on DVD, and I'm saying maybe, but man, what a movie. Like, I love this fucking movie. It was a total shot in the arm. and sent me, like, almost screaming into the streets uh, about how much I love it because it just is way better than I ever re- even recalled. And I always kind of liked it, but, like, now
2: I love it. Yeah, I have watched it twice this year. That's the third time I watched it this year. So you have a very different relationship in the past with this film. Um, I, I, ordered I, also,
0: the, uh, I ordered the Blu-ray and just got it
2: today. Well, it, definitely worth it. I have it too. It's a secret handshake for my brother and myself. We both just have always loved the film. And it um, it's my favorite Jackson film, hands down. Um, it's like him. Like we talked about, it's, there's a lot of like, it's the next step from Dead Alive. In yeah. terms of like that that kind of world building, it Definitely feels like though, it takes place
0: in the same New Zealand neighborhood. Because like even the house um, that uh, D Wallace's character lives in, like it feels like the house from Dead Alive.
2: Yeah, very very much. Like, and you could see also his like visual obsessions um and and bringing in danny elfman to kind of give it like a tim burton tim burton vibe you know um his
0: unhinged raimi esque camera just how it just flies around
2: the script too is like i mean i i use it as an example when i'm working on my stuff i watch that's why i watch it so much Is yeah. like take notes and i'm like this is a perfectly written entertaining horror script that every beat lands right the way it transitions between horror subgenres, between like possession stuff, ghost stuff, um, also like kind of like cult vibe, um, also, also like serial killer, you know, it, it just it plays in a lot of stuff, and it never loses this like really entertaining, like kind of funhouse mentality. And right. you have again, Zemeckis is the producer with Michael J. Fox at at his at his not. Most, most charismatic, but just that solid charisma you get from Michael J. Fox. Like he carries a movie that doesn't need to be carried, but he just brings the whole thing to life. Um, bit roles, I mean, not even bit roles, but like smaller roles, but like Jeffrey Combs and my favorite Jeffrey Combs role as a um, FBI agent who has spent twenty years undercover in cults, so he's all fucked up. And uh, you had made the point we were having food after, just like. This feels like Jackson hired these people and is like, go take it to 11. All of yeah. them, you know? Michael J. Fox is at his most Michael J. Fox. Different combs, most different combs. You know, D. Wallace Stone doing a very against type. Um, she's it's great, crazy. Dude. She's, yeah. Well, she they play into, you know, you thinking that she's this good, very demure kind of uh, sad, beaten down woman who is... the opposite uh yeah that final reel
0: and that reveal about her character is like just absolutely incredible um this was the movie that also got me to thinking a lot about how we we talked a lot about this because we went to the bistro again for uh uh brunch because we had to wait to check into our hotel so that we could finally go to sleep um but like I, i was talking to you is that you I couldn't imagine this movie being made anymore, no. um, because it's a totally original idea that carries the the voice of its creator, um, all of his weird senses of humor, his stylistic tics, his his hang-ups. Like, I don't want to know like what's up with Peter Jackson and his mom, but it doesn't seem healthy. Maybe it's Fran Walsh, her and her mom. They had to work some shit out because she co-wrote uh the movie with him on this one. Uh you know, it, it, it has his zany camera work. It has uh, just, it, it just feels of a piece with like the rest of his filmography while also having the crazy tech shit that would, this is very much like the bridge movie in his filmography from when he went from making either, you know, new, low budget New Zealand splatter flicks and outsider stuff to like heavenly creatures. Uh, with Kate Winslet and Emily, uh, or Melanie Linsky, who shows up in this in like a a non-speaking bit role in the background at one point in a police station. But like he made that and it's this small indie drama that I believe Miramax put out in the United States. Uh, Well, they say what's
2: got, I'd say that's what got him Lord of the Rings. Right. They say it was Heavenly Creatures. They say Um, it was that one.
0: But honestly, you watch this one, and they probably say that too because this movie did not make any money. Um, But like, this has all of his tech stuff that he would do with Weta and uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, and then everything forward with King Kong and and Lovely Bones and yada, yada, yada. And even like with his, his documentary filmmaking, when he uses like that crazy colorization technique uh for what's the name of
2: his they shall not grow old
0: they shall not grow old yep and then now he's apparently doing a lot of weird tech stuff with his Beatles uh documentary that's going to come out on apple which funnily enough that we're talking about it today he literally just sold web unity i just saw that like yeah for for what 1.7 billion dollars or whatever the man the man who made bad taste for like basically you know a sandwich is now a, a fucking billionaire that's insane if you think about it in any kind of abstract sense but like here it almost feels like you can you can hear robert zemeckis in his here in his ear the entire time like oh dude we can we can use this effects capture thing to do the ghosts they're gonna look amazing and like you just keep like piling on all the ideas because we're going to realize them like almost like Roger Rabbit style in this. Like it's, it has such like a cartoonish, like in your face vibe that like this movie, uh, like there's part of me it, the Blu-ray came today and I almost put it immediately in because I was just like, I want to watch it again because it just, I, I haven't had that kind of eureka moment with a film that I, I more or less like reevaluated on the spot To where like I I walked out and I was like, this is one of my new favorite movies because it's just like you said, the script is structurally airtight while like narratively and thematically like a little messy. Yeah. And also when it wants to totally shift from horror comedy to just horror, like that last reel is just fucking great because it has that that same Jackson energy, but like with Jake Busey coming in as this like uh ghostly serial killer their shotgun like D Wallace like uh stalking the, the 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 brain dead mansion with a shotgun at one point um and then also like when we talk about dry runs like uh, Jake Busey's like disguise I guess spoiler alert if you've never seen fucking Frighteners for the, the majority of the movie looks like one of the ring wraiths from Lord of the Rings. And it's just – he's just a total grim reaper, like, flying around and, and killing all these spirits and tearing – like, basically stopping the hearts of, like, human beings. Um, man, I, I – I was just knocked flat by this movie. Like, I I guarantee you this is why I couldn't sleep uh, well even after being up for 25 hours because I was just so jazzed after seeing it. Um, and I – I, I, even now, I'm just thinking about it. Like, god damn, like th- that's a movie. That th- it's that same theatrical uh, experience that we talk about and that we're trying to preserve post COVID. Because I didn't articulate it best at the at the top of the episode, and now I think I have my thoughts a little more clear. Is that like, so I went to the the theater three times during COVID and since. I mean, COVID's still going on, so we'll just say during COVID. One was for Tenet on 70 millimeter where I went with our, my buddy Shapiro um, and we watch it. And it was literally, he had to talk me into it with, Hey man, I know you're hesitant about going to theaters and whether or not like that's a great idea while this pandemic's going on. Cause that really was my thing is that I went from being a guy who went four or five times a week to like never going and being almost afraid to, because I didn't want to catch this terrible disease that's out there. And then he was like, look, there's only two seats. It's literally us, nobody else in the theater. I'm buying them. Let's go see it and just see how we feel. I'm like, okay. So I, I trusted him. And we went and it was literally us in the theater uh, with nobody else. So, like, it was cool because you're watching it on 7D. And obviously you can't project that, in, like, even in our movie bar. <laughs> but it's like uh, – you know, it's it's not quite the same. You still feel like you're watching something in your living room. Same thing happened with Candyman to where it was like, uh, I, I watched the original on Blu-ray in, in my living room, but with me and Carrie. And then I went and saw it immediately after at the local Regal and was literally the only person at like a five o'clock matinee show on like a Monday or Tuesday since I was off that day. And again, had that thought of like, this feels like, just no different than why, like, why didn't I, I just wait for streaming and watch it at home? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And that's the thing when people get up in arms about, you know, protecting the theatrical experience and and, and how it's still sacred and like COVID, we can't give up on movie theaters post COVID and stuff is that like, I've had difficulty uh, grappling with that idea Because even when I go to the theater, I go based on the times that I feel the most safe. So that experience isn't there. And I wonder how much that holds true for a lot of other people. And also like the other flip side of the modern theatrical experience is like going to see, I guess if you were going to go see a movie with a packed theater, you would go see like Shang-Chi or Black Widow or some fucking Marvel bullshit like with a packed house. And that's the thing is that I'm like, I, I just don't see the sacred uh, nature of, of the theatrical experience shining through in those experiences, like in, in those instances, let's say. And those are gonna be the instances that really dominate how people go to the theaters from this point forward, at least for the next couple of years. But going to Exhumed and seeing The Exorcist in 35 millimeter with a group full of strangers who, you know, I, I guarantee everybody in that room had seen that movie at least twice. <laughs> you know, I've seen that movie probably double digits, um, but we were all so locked into it and giggling at the parts that were uncomfortable and, 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 Crying out and like getting totally like like taken in by Father Marin and Max von Sydow's like amazing performance and Jason uh, uh, Miller and like it's just it, 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 you're even though you knew the movie because of the way you were watching it it just totally like sucked you in and and transported you to a totally different place. And that's the theatrical experience that we should be talking about protecting at like all costs. And The Frighteners delivered that same uh, uh, jolt for me because it was like, if I was watching The Frighteners at four, like I'm glad that I now own it on Blu-ray and it's great and I can't wait to revisit it ten more times – but it's like watching that movie at four in the afternoon while I have something else on my mind or like I want to fold laundry or whatever. It's not the same as what it was like to sit there even after being awake for 24 straight hours. And again, just locked in You're in a dark room that, that you hear the flicker of the projector. This movie's playing and everybody else is totally into this. They're cheering when fucking Jeffrey Combs pulls out a machine gun, like, uh, they're, they're, they're gasping when, like, that uh, wraith jumps onto the top of the car and, like, flies in. Like, again, this is probably a movie where I was actually the outsider with a lot that most of the people in there probably had seen this a couple times. And, like, it's still it, – it, it was magic. That, and that's what going to the movies, like, truly is in the end is it's watching a magic trick – and letting the theater become the the stage on which the magician performs. And like you cannot replace that with home video as much as I love it. And I own plenty and plenty and plenty of movies, but it's just not the same. And it would just felt great to have an experience again that reminded me of that after being so reprogrammed by the, the horrible pandemic we've lived through. So it would just, if I take anything away from this experience that borders on profound, it's that.
2: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, I mean, I've obviously seen a lot more films in the theater than you, but again, even the types of films that they are showing are the least cinematic. And I'm going with packed crowds. You know, again, I went to Shang-Chi with a full sold out crowd. And I felt, empty and even when people were cheering it was just like the it was not a film made as the film made to play on disney plus as well as it plays in the theater versus like and frighteners was great on on home video but actually that that communal experience for a movie that has the the vaulted feel of cinema um i i think is irre- irreplaceable as well
0: yeah no it really is and it's like we could go into all the reasons that we, you know, that, that seeing something like Shang-Chi or, or Black Widow or anything like on the big screen is not the same in terms of like our knowledge base for how the movies are released or, you know, the, 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 the mere transactional quality of the notion that this will be available within 30 days. I mean, today is a great example is that I watched before uh, we logged on to record this morning, I watched um, No Time to Die which is the first Bond movie since GoldenEye that I have not seen in theaters. And it's not like I didn't have the opportunity to see it. It's that I chose not to because I knew that it would be out on streaming uh, 30 days from the day it came out and I would just watch it at home. And it was like, I don't know if that speaks to how the pandemic has changed the way that we consume cinema. I, I, I mean, I don't know what does, you know? Yeah. So, but anyway, this was the first Secret Handshake field trip. Uh, I anticipate quite a few more. in the future. I'm always
2: down for more.
0: Because this was wonderful. We got to hang out with Simon. We got to see 15 movies in 25 hours. Martin, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. And this has been another edition of Secret Handshake. Next time. We will see you some for some weird uh, prison action. So stay tuned.